Triple G and the rest, like an overhand right from Crush Kovalev. The tale of the tape on theboxingrant.com. It's the pound for pound, undisputed kings. It's the tale of the tape, time to enter the ring. The tale of the tape on theboxingrant.com. Welcome back to the tale of the tape. What up, what up, fight fans, and welcome back to the pound for pound king of boxing podcasts. The Tale of the Tape. I'm your host, Kenny Keith, and joined, as always, by my co-host, Vince Cummings. What up, Vin? What's up, brother? We talked about it last week, the kind of lull in boxing, and uh, it's around that time of year where movers and shakers and, and things start happening and deals get signed or they don't, and damn if we didn't get one today. Oh, man, we got a, uh, a big surprise, one that nobody expected, even the ones with the most inside connections in the sport. Yeah. Um, and we'll get to that big announcement uh, a little bit later. We got a post-fight of the return of the Crusher to do today on episode 102 of the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast, plus some action from the L.A. Fight Club, a good card put on this weekend by Golden Boy Promotions. Golden Boy's on fire right now in the sport of professional prize fighting, Vin. Yeah, yeah, they're, uh, they're taking their chance, and they're, and they're running with it, man. Yeah, well, you know what? The door's open. Yeah. Because as soon as somebody slips, somebody steps right in. They are. Um, so, yeah, we'll get to all that, all the good news. Um, there's some interesting news surrounding the PBC, some new findings, some new speculations, and uh, definitely some some serious, serious considerations for them going forward in the sport of boxing. Uh, but before we get to all that, we just want to remind all of you to stop by theboxingrant.com backslash podcast for all of the links, audio and video to every episode of the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast, theboxingrant.com backslash podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the Boxing Rant YouTube channel. We're growing fast. We appreciate all of the subscriptions out there so far. So if you haven't subscribed to the Boxing Rant YouTube channel yet, get it. We're on iTunes, Spreaker, Stitcher, Android, but all the links, theboxingrant.com backslash podcast we appreciate all of you tuning in to the 102nd episode of the tale of the tape boxing podcast then let's go to the bell center in montreal canada this past saturday night the crusher sergey kovalev returning to the ring to do the deal with jean pascal a fight that probably would have been much more anticipated had the uneski gonzalez scrap never happened in between um the Crusher came out and dispatched Jean Pascal. Did the deal in seven rounds, Vin. Less than eight from the last time. What was your overall take of this fight, Sergey Kovalev versus Jean Pascal? Too. What well, the, the two? There's two things I take away from this fight. W- one being that that Jean Pascal, I think, between the first Kovalev fight, the just absolute brawl with with Gonzalez, that was a really tough fight. He took some big shots. I, I think he's at that point in his career where he is. He's teetering, man. He's he's becoming that guy that is going to be a stepping stone here eventually. I mean, he's he's a couple wins away, I think, from you know having an opportunity like this again. And I don't I don't know if I see that ever happening for him. No. And Kovalev, just like 
what I noticed in this fight was he took the one thing that Pascal could do good in the first fight, which was counter him with that right hand. You saw Pascal trying to bait him, try to get him to throw the punch that he wanted for the counter. Kovalev was patient. He, he, he saw that he was being baited and didn't take it. And, yeah. and, and, and this was an even way more side, way more one-sided beatdown than the first fight. Yeah, yeah. There's, um, there's no doubt about the, uh, the one-sidedness of this absolute destruction of Jean Pascal. Yeah, he did. You know, to your point about Sergey Kovalev not making the same mistakes as the first fight. The first fight, he was really looking to finish him with the straight right. So yeah. every time he threw the straight right, right, he would drop his left hand and open him up for that big looping right coming from Pascal. Mm-hmm. In this fight, Sergey said. I'm just going to beat the shit out of you with my jab. Right. So he constantly stayed on the left hand, and Pascal couldn't find an opening because he's one-handed. And John David Jackson knew it. They knew coming into this fight exactly what they had to do to avoid it. Yeah. Plus, we we spoke to Kovalev's his stature, his stance, his base, his foundation. He's always on balance, and his legs never wobble. He looked more spry than ever shooting in and out. There was one point in the fight, I want to say it was the third or fourth round, Pretty much Pascal's last stand. He had Pascal on the ropes, and he jumped in with a jab to the body, and he overcommitted to it. His back leg followed the jab in, and you could tell he was, like, leaning forward. Yeah. And Pascal went to wing that right hook off the ropes, and Kovalev, uh, Kovalev just darted back. I mean, he shot right back into his stance on his toes, ready to fire. Right. Uh, you would, And, you know, I, I, I'm not going to sit here and disparage Freddie Roach. The dude is is one of the all-time great cornermen in the history of boxing but it just to me in that fight it was like you didn't have any you, you couldn't give your your fighter any other a, a plan b because you can't just go in with the same game plan as the first fight with a fighter as good as Kovalev and not expect him to make adjustments they there had to have been something else and I'm just surprised that Roach wasn't able to add something to it but you know what in the end we've said it before a lot of times on the show the fighter is the fighter yeah uh, I, I mean i feel like at this point freddie roach sometimes becomes like a he's a bit of like a traveling not a traveling circus but he's just a guy that he's a mercenary yeah he, he, somebody brings in that just adds more to the fight because hey freddie roach is in this guy's corner who knows what's going to happen this time yeah it, it just seemed like you would have expected more from roach but then again like I said, the fighter is the fighter. What, you know, what are you going to do? Well, John Pascal had the same trainer from the amateurs all the way until right. until he switched to Freddie Roach. Yeah, it, it, it takes more than eight weeks to uh, wash that off. Yeah, I mean, I mean, what did they say? Like the common common theory out there is that you have to do something ten thousand times to make it a habit. Right. I, you know, I, we didn't even really talk about Freddie Roach in the preview show because, you know, in the back of my mind, I was thinking that Freddie Roach wasn't going to impact this fight anyways. You can't you can't teach a an old dog, new trip, especially no. in a sport that is completely reactionary. Right. You know what I mean? If the sport wasn't reaction-based, you could teach him some new tricks because he would have time to contemplate and implement them. You know, six weeks is not enough time to develop the muscle memory necessary to react to an offensive powerhouse like Sergey Kovalev. Right, right. You know? And he's, you know, start a training camp with, with, with Pacquiao. It's just, he's got too much on his plate, man. Yeah, and every other fighter that he has in his gym. Yeah. <clears throat> you know what I mean? Dude, the punch stats really said it all. I thought the fight should have been stopped after the fifth round. Um, it Really after the third round, because that, that was the first round where Kovalev put a drubbing on him. Yeah, it was. And you saw him in the corner after, it was after, the, after the third round. His eyes looked identical to what they looked like in the eighth round 
of their last fight, bloodshot. His knees were already wobbly. They kept locking up. He looked stiff. He looked rigid. He looked stiff and rigid in the first round. That's the whole reason why he got knocked down with that jab in the first round, because his knees were locked in a wide-open stance. Right. So it was pretty much Kovalev probably could have just pushed him in the forehead, yeah. and he would have fallen straight backwards. You yep. can't lock your knees. No. Especially not in a wide stance. But the punch stats really set it all. I mean, come on. Um, overall here, we had 165 punches landed. Uh, 412 thrown, a 40% clip for for Kovalev. Pascal landed 30 of 108 punches. And the most really sort of indicative, telling, sad punch stat of all were the total punches that were landed for the close of the fight, the fifth round especially, 31 to 1 in favor of Sergei Kovalev. Then three punches landed in the sixth and four punches landed in the the seventh. I think Freddie Roach should have stopped that fight when he said he was going to originally. Yeah. Asking Pascal in between rounds at that point in time was like, look, man, you don't need to ask that guy. That guy's going to stay in the ring and fight till, till he gets dropped. And that's the time when the manager or the corner man should step in and, and throw in the towel or make the decision for his fighter. He definitely should have. And to, to let it go for two more rounds was like, man, I'm sitting there yelling at my TV, like, stop this damn fight, please. I think a lot of people were. This is ridiculous. Yeah, a lot of people were. Um, okay, so before we move on to the post-fight and the future prospects of Sergey Kovalev, how do you feel about Kovalev from Pascal 1 to Pascal 2 as a fighter? Did you see any growth? Did you see anything um, that stood out to you? I mean, has he changed much as a fighter? Uh, you know, where is he today from where he was before you saw this fight? I mean, I still thought there may have been some minor improvements. I think we saw him go to the body a little bit more. He mixed in a, a, a you know a, a wider range of punches in this fight. But I, I, the biggest thing I took away is what I said before the the ability for him to neutralize what Pascal could do from the first fight and just completely, absolutely whitewash him. Mm-hmm. I mean that that speaks to what kind of fighter this guy is. He's not only is he just a cold blooded assassin. He's cerebral as hell, man. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, one thing that I took away was. In the, in the moments that he was tied up with Pascal, one, he kept throwing that thudding downward right hook to the liver. Yeah. Every single time they were tied up, dude. And I'm just sitting here thinking to myself, I'm like, gosh, those are huge shots in the clinch. And another thing was we saw Kovalev getting scrappy on the inside. Yeah. There were moments where they got tied up, and he wanted, he wanted Pascal off of them. So you started to see a short uppercut come in. Right. Some punches that you don't really see him throw. That kind of infighting, that kind of aggressiveness is going to come into play um, if there is this November fight with Andre Ward because Ward is going to have to get in on Kovalev to have some success. Let's get to the post-fight before we get to Andre Ward. Mm-hmm. Um, man, it was kind of a, a sad ending to the fight where it was like, you know, for the last two or three rounds, like you said, we're sitting here calling, stop the fight, stop the fight, stop the fight. So it was a little anticlimactic, and it was an absolute drubbing, a beatdown. The post-fight was one of the funniest post-fights I've seen in, <laughs> in recent memory. I mean, dude, it was classic. It was classic. I would like to fight Adonis Chickenson. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I just everybody's response to that was, man, is that what chickens sound like in Russia? He, he botched it, man. He, he did botch it a little bit, but the fact that he said that, dude, the chickens and the crowd went wild. <laughs> um, yeah, the... The quacking is because it's a duckness chicken yeah. son. A duckness chicken son. He almost nailed it. <laughs> yeah, he almost nailed it. But, dude, it was still absolutely hilarious. Yeah. And then in steps Adonis 
Stevenson himself, a Ducknish Chickenson himself. He steps in, he grabs the microphone, and he goes, Hey, <laughs> hey, I am here. Right? And Kovalev reaches in, and all you see is his tape wrapped hand lean in for a flick. And then he walks away, and Adonis Stevenson gets held back by the Egus Klemus described it as his goons. He had like four or five bodyguards holding him back while Kovalev is circling the outside of the ring, blowing kisses to the crowd. <laughs> if Stevenson was trying to make that look real and, and, and look like he was seriously angry, I mean, that looked so contrived. And oh, it was horrible. It was like, dude, you can't even do that right. <laughs> You're, God, man. I am here. <laughs> hey. Hey, everybody knows I'm the real champion. The real champion. <laughs> yeah, and then Max, of course, drops it, tries to act all serious, and he's like, um, Aldonis Stevenson, the lineal uh, light heavyweight champion. I would have been like, all right, come on. You know what I mean? I would have right. been like, back to you, Jim. He, he was kind of laughing when it first started. He's like, oh, my God, we got to. Yeah, what the hell's going if on Max here? Kellerman can hold back Adonis Stevenson, how serious was he really? Uh, absolutely not serious at all. Yeah, you know, and then it comes out that, um, you know, they it, it was revealed soon after that. We knew a little bit before the fight that um, that negotiations for a possible June matchup had been going on, that Avon Michelle, the promoter of Adonis Stevenson, had agreed to the terms of the deal. They wanted some guarantees. Kathy Duva had um, went ahead and met all the demands that were requested by by his um, his promoter, and then the terms were sent to Las Vegas. Yvon Michelle said he had to go to Vegas to talk with Al Heyman about it, and then he called back and said that he spoke with Al Heyman and Steven Espinoza, and Steven Espinoza said that the projections were off and that the only way that this fight was going to be possible is if Showtime was included. Why would you in any way, shape, or form, why would you even consult with Steven Espinoza? Why? Yeah. What, Why? What the fuck does he know about anything? I, I don't know, man. That that to me is just oh, it's so sickening. That that guy is involved in negotiations for fights like that. He has that much of his finger on what goes on behind the scenes in the sport. Is it's just so frustrating, man. Yeah, it's sad. And you know, apparently, the look, look the projections from HBO were that it was going to do three hundred thousand uh, pay per view buys, right? and that they were going to guarantee, there was a guarantee of $2 million for Donna Stevenson. Right. That, that's what he requested. And then that it looked like, based just off the gate alone, on, on how they had sat down and priced out the venue where it was going to be, that it was going to be a $4 million gate, right? So then they said with the 300,000 uh, 300, projected buys, with the gate included, that it was going to be somewhere in the twelve to fifteen million dollar range, and that it was split fifty fifty. So it was a guaranteed two million, mm-hmm. with as high as anywhere to, to eight million is what Adonis Stevenson could have made. Right, he's never made that amount of money for any of his fights. Um, he's been fighting one hundred and sixty eight pounders that they're bringing up. Yep. You know, Tommy Carpency, Sakio Bika never fought it at one hundred and seventy five pounds before, and so basically they turned down. You know, is you know, and Igus Klim has said. Is Al Heyman looking out for the best interest of his fighter or the best interest of his network? Because it looks like he's only protecting the interest of Showtime and the PBC. Yeah, that's exactly what he's doing. He, does, he's, he knows he's going to lose the champion, and he doesn't want that. But a real manager that has a fiduciary responsibility to their fighter would say, yes, and I will take a percentage. Yeah. Take the fight. You'll never make this amount of money again. You're 38 years old. Yeah. You're 38 years old. You will never have an opportunity to make this amount of money ever again. But you know what? Just like we saw the logic with Peter Quillen turning down the Max A. Korobov fight, 
it's the same exact logic here. Oh, we'll catch you on the flip side. We'll give you three or four easy touches. Mm-hmm. So Donna Stevenson probably has assurances from Al Heyman that, well, hey, I can fight three or four fights until I'm 40 years old on CBS against bums that I can knock out and get paid in front of 2,000 people um, uh, you know, on events that all lose enormous amounts of cash. Hey, but it's not Al Heyman's cash. It's not my cash. I'll get paid. I have those reassurances. So why, why take a real fight? That's a win-win-win situation. <laughs> not in the eyes of uh, of people that think uh, backwards about things, right? You know what I mean. Especially when you got a bunch of investors that have been lied to, and uh, you got a big old piggy bank full of cash. But the piggy bank is dwindling, and we'll get to that. Andre Ward, what did you think about his interview, Ben? First of all, what did you think about his shirt? <laughs> I, I mean, I'm not surprised. <laughs> He's not in touch with anything in the world. He looks like a retard. The the shirt was just, come on, give me a break, man. Sullivan Brera was making the jokes about the uh, JCPenney. Andre Ward definitely got that shirt from JCPenney. It certainly looked that way. And he had the top button button. Yeah. I'm just like, he's like, what? What? What did you say, Jim? (laughs) They're out there. They're talking about me again, Jim. (laughs) Is, hey, um, Andre, so uh, Sullivan Brera. March 26th, eh, I haven't signed anything yet. You know, he was so indifferent. I yeah. feel like every time I see an interview with Andre Ward, there's this lack of genuine, like, he seems so fake. He's trying to be smart and savvy and mm-hmm. witty, and he thinks he's smarter than everybody else, but he comes off so disingenuine. And I think overall people just think he's just, He's not authentic at all. No, no. And that's why he's not liked in the boxing community by anyone except for a small group of diehard fans that will go to the grave as him still being the best pound-for-pound fighter in the world. Yeah, even though uh, yeah, we haven't seen him fight in how long? Um, you uh, know, Yeah, once in three years pretty much. Yeah, it's been a really, really, really long time. So as things stand right now with Andre Ward and Sergey Kovalev, okay, there's a lot of argument going out there back and forth about how, oh, Andre Ward's going to box circles around this guy. He's going to, you know, he's going to dominate Sergey Kovalev. And then the, the Kovalev uh, supporters come back and say, well, you know, Kovalev is the uh, biggest puncher that Andre Ward's ever faced. You know, he's never fought at 175. And this argument goes back and forth, and it gets louder and louder and louder and louder. And the only thing I can think about while I'm, I'm reading these arguments, seeing these arguments, watching these videos, listening to these podcasts, they're having this conversation with this presupposed premise in the center of it. They have already given into, they've already acknowledged, admitted, and they base their story off of a preconceived notion as if Andre Ward has been fighting three times a year for his entire career. They they carry on the conversation as if this is the case. And all I can think about is when I hear these conversations is, do you not realize that this guy has had one fight in three years? He's had no meaningful fights since 2011. He hasn't fought anybody worth a shit since 2011. Yet we're having this conversation as if he's been out there just beating the world. He moved up to 175 already and has established himself. You have two things to consider here. And if you don't consider these before you have the argument, you sound like a complete and utter uninformed moron. And it's sheer laziness. The dude has never fought at 175 pounds. And more importantly, he has had one fight in three years. 
And and also to that, this is clearly, easily, uh, any fight that Andre Ward has had, this is his toughest opponent. It's not, it's really not even close. I mean, who's, this, who's Ward's toughest opponent before that? Carl Frotch? Carl Frotch. I, I, I mean, I think we all know that Kovalev, Carl Frotch, all, with all due respect, one hell of a fighter, but not on the level as a crusher Kovalev. I'm sorry, just not as a fighter. Now, Frotch might go the distance. Frotch is a warrior. Yeah. He's not a he's not a boxer a pure boxing boxing punch, boxer puncher beast. That's not him. And I'm not gonna sit here and act like, well, we're getting Andre Ward 2011, right? I mean, he's he's still around, right? That's how everybody's carrying like on this we, conversation. You can't act like that's a given. The guy fought Paul Smith. Yeah. Who cares if he beat the shit out of a unmotivated, overweight guy that's probably on his way out of the sport, saying some bullshit fights in Britain that because he, he's a name, because a Smith family name, and he can still draw some attention. I'm not going to sit here and act like Andre Ward is that is that guy from the Super Six and stop. Everybody stop with that. He, You can't sit there and say that. Dude, George Groves knocked out Paul Smith in the second round. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Come on, man. <laughs> Andre Ward could, could not hurt people in the super middleweight division. Very hard time finishing people off. Uh, he finished off Chad da- Dawson. Sorry. Uh, I'm not giving him credit for that. We saw what kind of fighter Dawson was after that. Yeah. He just, now you're telling me you're going to come up to 175 and you're going to start, you're going to have the power to, to keep people off you, let alone anybody but Kovalev? P- Give me a break, man. People don't take into consideration because they don't, they don't know the information. They don't have the information that... There's two factors. Somebody that might try to reach into their bag of tricks and throw out a reason why he beat Chad Dawson so so easily is, oh, we made him come down from light heavyweight. Right. Okay? Well, there's, a, there's something else to this story. Chad Dawson was flatlined in sparring for the Andre Ward fight. Yeah. He was knocked out cold in sparring with headgear on. Yeah. He was a shot fighter coming into the fight. Yep. You get flatlined in sparring, you should cancel the fight. Yeah, and I think based on what, what Ward's done in his career since the Super 6, I, I, I'm, I think they probably knew going into that fight. We got ourselves easy pickings with Chad Dawson. Yeah, absolutely, and he was a big name. Yeah. You know, and he was a big name. Um, yeah, man, I, everything that you said, I, I, I'm, I'm with you, man. I, I'm, I'm totally with you. I, I, look, I, is there a chance that Andre Ward beats Sergey Kovalev? Absolutely. Yes. Um, but let's have this conversation in the now. In the now, with all of the information. Yeah, let's Th- stay in reality. I'll take it a step further. Sergey Kovalev is the best fighter Andre Ward will ever face. Yeah, it, it is. I mean, not only is he the best that he has faced to date, he will never fight another fighter like Sergey Kovalev because there's nobody within range from 168 pounds to cruiserweight right now other than Oleksandr Usyk who is not coming down. He's, no. he's going up to heavyweight yeah. eventually that can punch and box with the athleticism, with the amateur pedigree, and we're talking about arguably the biggest puncher in boxing. He has the best jab in the sport. Bar none. I don't care how pretty a mirror mom's jab looks. Right. I don't care how 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 telephone pole, you know, stop you in your tracks Vladimir Klitschko's jab was. Right. Right? There's a lot of good jabs in boxing. Nobody in boxing does what he can do. He has everybody's jab plus 
you know what? I don't even have to use my right hand. Try to get inside on me, Andre Ward, with your tactics right. because my jab will knock you out. Yeah. You know? He's got – that's what – the difference between his jab and everybody else's is uh, he can hurt you, seriously, with a jab. With a jab. Yeah. That doesn't mean that I – look, if, I, if I'm picking the fight today, right, if I pick the fight right now today, I'm taking Sergey Kovalev to stop Andre Ward around the ninth or tenth round. That's what I'm, that's what I'm picking today. Mm-hmm. My opinion can completely change. If Andre Ward goes in and dominates Sullivan Barrera, a guy that's going to swing for the fences, yes, a guy that is physically stronger than Andre Ward, yeah, a guy that he's going to try to tie up, equal athletically, probably, yeah. right? Not as nearly as refined. Probably no. doesn't have as quick a, anywhere near quick a hands, right? But Sullivan Barrera has shown in his fights. If if, if any of you out there haven't watched film on him, you'll notice Su- Sullivan Barrera kind of. He kind of lulls a little bit, you know what I mean? He kind of looks for his spots, look for his spots. But when Sullivan Barrera closes a fight, there's an explosion of athleticism from him. Absolutely. That comes with a force. And it comes fat as a gear that you don't see while he's fighting the fight. Right. Until the opening comes. And I can tell you right now, I, I, I would predict this fight right now. I would give Andre Ward probably three to one odds on this fight because of the fact that he has never fought a legitimate light heavyweight. Okay, because Paul Smith had been fighting that super middleweight. Right. You know, he, he Paul Smith had been fighting Arthur Abraham. Yeah, that Paul Smith was allowed to eat cupcakes and, and train. Exactly. And, and, and yeah, exactly. Um, you know, with this situation with Sullivan Barrera, when this fight happens on March 26th, I'm telling you right now, Andre Ward has been hit. He has been dropped. Okay. Andre Ward has shown a propensity that he will take risks and he can be hit. Yes. It's the ability to be able to hit him more than once with a big shot that many people have not been able to execute because he's been able to, to, to stymie them by tying them up. Right. I'm telling you right now, I predict that Andre Ward will win that fight, and I, I think that he will win a, a unanimous decision in that fight. That, that, that is my prediction. But I'm telling you there's a chance in that Sullivan Barrera fight. If Sullivan Barrera clips him, I would not be surprised for one second if Barrera finished him because I'm telling you right now, if Barrera staggers Ward, if he gets him hurt, He's not going to let him off the hook. No, no, absolutely not. I, I, I fall right in line with you. That fight, if that fight happens, which it looks like it's going to, uh, that, that's going to be the proving ground for Ward as to where he is coming into that Kovalev fight. If he gets into a really, really tough fight with Barrera that goes 12 rounds and is, you know, split decision on the cards, well, he's in for a, a long night against Kovalev because there's <clears throat> Sullivan Barrera, very good. Kovalev, much better. Right. It's. I mean, it's the the thing with Ward is look, the guy has has skated around everything in, in for the last three years in the sport. He's made himself look like a complete jackass, and and it's very hard for me to respect him. And maybe that's a little bit of bias that comes into when we talk about this. But the bottom line is this: you haven't done anything, so I'm not going to act like you are who you were. It, period. That is. That's the premise of this entire story. <clears throat> you know, it's a 50-50 fight. Anything can happen. Andre Ward could win that fight just as easily as Sergey Kovalev could. But these conversations of there's a better chance. The odds are greater. You will see this when the books are made for this fight. The odds will be in favor of Sergey Kovalev stopping Andre Ward more so than Andre Ward winning a unanimous decision in this fight. I guarantee you the knockout... I can see that. Numbers in Vegas for rounds, let's say, 8 through 11. 
yeah. or eight through twelve, that's going to be the money you want to place on that fight. Yeah, as I'm telling you right now, I I don't know if Andre Ward can win a unanimous decision against Sergey Kovalev. I don't know. This is the biggest, baddest dude he will have ever faced. Yeah. At the end of the day, Andre Ward is supremely talented in this sport, but. I mean, come on, man. If you don't use it, you lose it. Show me. Show me. <laughs> Is show it me. true? If you don't use it, you Show lose me what it? you can do. <laughs> um, yeah, man. So we'll just have to wait and see. But first and foremost will be the test, and I'm glad. It, Andre Ward versus Sullivan Barrera is a real fight. So yes. anybody that's out there shitting on this fight, you obviously haven't seen Sullivan Barrera. Yeah. Um, I'll tell you right now, it's a real fight. I give Andre Ward a ton of respect for taking this fight. Yeah, I, I do. I, I, he does deserve that. And let's just just show me, Andre. That's all you need to do. Absolutely. You know what's so funny, man, is having this conversation with you. And I, I remember, you know, what, three, four, five years ago. I mean, I, I don't think there was a fighter out there. You you were talking up Andre Ward more than you were talking up anybody at that time. Oh, yeah. Look, when the Super 6 started, I picked him to win before one fight was ever made. When they released that list, I went, they gave me ten to one odds on Andre Ward on Bet Online. I said, "I'll take that." How Thank much? You, how you much did you much. put on a hundred bucks? Nah, I think I put fifty bucks on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember when you placed that bet, and sure enough. So, which fights of Wards have you seen live? I saw. I only saw Ward Frotch. That was it. The, the 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 final for the Super Six. That was it. I saw everybody. I saw Frotch fight twice in the Super Six. I saw. Yeah, I saw him fight Glenn Johnson. What a <laughs> what an experience that was. Uh, yeah, I mean he. Look, he's he's a guy that coming up, I was so hyped on, and I, the talent was there, and I would talk about him, and then he would make me look good, and I'd be like, I love this guy, <laughs> I love him, and sure enough, he he goes and does this, and I, dude, I've lost all respect, man, I yeah. really have. You respect the skills, though. Oh, absolutely. Okay. Um, co-feature: Dmitry Mikolenko, Kareem Mayfield. Man, oh, <sighs> good thing we didn't get Mayfield Mayweather, huh? Oh my! Because he was a projected opponent. <laughs> I think he was doing Mayfield a favor, man. I have to agree with those announcers, you know. Yeah. Like, honestly, man, like, why else would you mention this guy? He is tragic. He is, man. I mean, literally, just lunge forward, whip two crazy wild punches, and then land in the chest of his opponent. Yeah. Dude, ugly, ugly to watch. Yeah, and you know the the tough part, dude. Do Mikolenko dominated this fight, but the tough part about Mikolenko is he has no punching power. No. No, you know what I mean? I felt like I, you know, the Gradovich comparison was perfect because you know, he this guy's a grinder. Yeah. I think that it would be really cool to see this guy fight the top welterweights in the division. I think that this guy could give every single welterweight on the planet today absolute fits. Yeah, he's going to make you use your entire arsenal and he's never going to stop coming. No, no, and he's not, but he's not going to hurt you. No. So once the guys figure that out, it's it's, you know, in the top of the division it's going to be tough for him. But you're, you're exactly right. But he could win some of those fights. Yeah. That's the funny part. He could outwork some guys and win some fights for sure. Yeah, yeah. I, I, you like know. a Mauricio Herrera of the welterweight division. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you know, I, I foresee with the political ties and everything like this, you know, I, I could definitely see once once a guy like Matisse moves up, um, you know, a, a, a Michelenko-Matisse fight or, mm-hmm. a, you know, for an eliminator or something like that. Or, you know, we've heard rumors of Michelenko versus Provodnikov. That would be a cool fight to watch. Yeah, yeah, it would. Um, but yeah, there you have it. I mean, Mikolenko, unanimous decision, 10, one, 190 times two, 99 to 91. So he's a guy who'll kind of, uh, eh, kind of put him over here and let him percolate and see where he ends up. Right. All right, man. So that'll do it from, uh, Montreal. And, uh, we head to Los Angeles, uh, the city of angels for 
what is turning out to be one of the coolest things in boxing going today, one of the most fun things to watch, the best announcing crew in boxing, in my opinion, uh, right now with Better Duran, um, Doug Fisher, uh, who's been a guest of the show a few times, and uh, Steve Kim from UCN Live. It's amazing what technical breakdown in a fight will do for it. That's all they talk about. Yeah. All they talk about is boxing. It is amazing. Yeah, wow. Unbelievable. Um, The L.A. Fight Club, this past Friday, featherweights galore in action. Headlining the bill was one of our top prospects. Um, Lingering somewhere out the top ten, Julian Ramirez in a huge step-up fight for him against Christopher Martin um, from the Belasco Theater, L.A. Julian Came out in this fight really, really strong. Was having his way. Martin seemed a little disinterested uh, at first. He, he kind of seemed like he was protecting himself, maybe feeling out Julian a little bit. And then the fight got really rugged. This was the first time I'd seen El Camarón, Julian Ramirez, really show some grit on the inside. Really battling. Um, would, would get inside, do work. He was very aggressive. Um, anytime Martin tried to rough him up, he would step back. Then he'd step back in. Um, he didn't back down. We we saw uh, Ruben Tamayo get physical with Oscar Valdez in this way, mm-hmm. and Valdez didn't like it, and it may have been the first time, and he had to get used to that kind of fighting and adapt to it. Julian Ramirez, I mean, I don't know if it's just because he's got those Gennaro Hernandez bloodlines running through him, mm-hmm. but my boy, he, it seemed like he was loving it. Yeah, he just he, he slid right into the role like, hey, if this is how you want to fight, I can handle it. I'm a man, and I think Martin – Kind of took into what some of the stuff we said in a preview about how, you know, you look at Julian Ramirez, he's not a scary guy. So Martin probably eventually was like, let me just go at this guy. Yeah. Let me see what he's made of. And he proved, Ramirez proved in that fight that he's not going to be a pushover. He can get tough. He can he can stand there toe-to-toe and trade. He can fight in many ways. The kid is very, very good. Yeah. Um, and I have to agree, there was an um, assessment by Steve Kim during the fight, an, an analysis that I had to you know, give him kudos for because I was kind of noticing the same thing was that, you know, in comparing other, you know, guys that are at this stage of their career in the featherweight division, um, you know, guys, we always, always compare Julian Ramirez with the likes of Jojo Diaz, his stablemate, and Oscar Valdez from top rank. And the difference between those two guys and Julian Ramirez is they are a little bit more accurate with their punches. Julian is not as accurate a puncher as those guys are. Julian has a really unique fighting style, great balance. He has a wider stance. Um, he does need to work on his accuracy. This was the first fight because he was in with his first real test yeah. that I noticed um, his opponent wasn't allowing him to hit him as easily as he's been hitting other opponents. Right. Yeah, for a first real test, I, I mean, I'm not going to say he passed with flying colors, but he did very, very well and, and did well for himself moving forward. I think you take a, you take another little step up now. Yeah. Absolutely. The judges, 190, 99, 91 times two. Um, El Camarón, Julian Ramirez is definitely on the rise. It's a great test for him. Uh, Lessons will most likely be learned. Abraham Lopez, we told his story. Um, He was in the co-feature. You know, he sat out for a little while, had a little bit of a dispute with his manager, went and finished his degree, um, worked for a little while as a respiratory therapist, came back to this, um, signed with Golden Boy, and this was his fifth fight since signing with Golden Boy, mm-hmm. um, taking off Carlos Valcarcel. Lopez looked okay, Vin. You know, honestly, he was really wound tight for the fight. He came out, and it seemed like he was so excited. And, and even the, um, the announcers were saying during the production meeting when they, when they interviewed him that he seemed really, like, way too excited. Right. Where most fighters are really sort of subdued. 
you know what I mean, a, a more laid back, more focusing on the fact that they had to cut weight. And they said that he was super wound tight. He was, his attack went from erratic um, to really kind of well in control. His aggressiveness paid off in this one, and he, and he, he got uh, Val Carcel to quit on his stool um, after the seventh round. Once he calmed down a little bit and focused his punches a little bit more, man, he looked a lot better, man. But I tell you what, in my opinion, Ben, he needs a, he needs a lot of work. They were talking about how he was saying to, to, to the announcers uh, in the production meeting that he had big hopes and he, he wanted to try to work his way into an eliminator to try to fight for a title by the end of the year. And mm. uh, he seems sure of himself, says he'll be ready for that shot at the bell. But personally... I don't think he, I think he needs three or four more fights this year, and then maybe he can think about that next year. But yeah, let's let's wait for the for the end of 2017 before we uh, yeah pump them brakes on. <laughs> exactly, um, but yeah, I mean he he was definitely devastating his aggressiveness. Um, that kind of aggressiveness that'll make or break you. Yeah, you yeah, know? it will. But um, yeah, I tell you what, it was a, it was it was an exciting fight. Um, okay, really the star of the show for me, and 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 for many that tuned in to the undercard portion that they were streaming online. In steps this kid that I'd never heard of before, mm-hmm. Edgar Valerio, not to be mistaken for Edwin Valero, the Hall of Famer. Yeah. Um, Edgar Valerio, a 21-year-old who had fought four fights as a professional. Uh, Doug Fisher said during the telecast that he actually called uh, Valerio's very first fight, and he said it was one of the most exciting prospect fights he had ever seen. It was a four-rounder. All-out war, total shootout, two guys out of control, swing of the fences, both hit the deck. He said it was, like, super exciting. Right. But then after he fought his four fights, and he had, he had a managerial dispute, and he sat out. So he sat out for 18 months and became this gym legend, was basically sparring everybody in Southern California and developed a reputation for himself. His first fight back against Justin Lopez, okay? First fight with, uh, with Golden Boy. Dude, this kid's jab. With so little experience, just picture perfect, beautiful, but the straight right hand. That I don't think that dude. The announcers were spot on with the comparisons with Diego Corrales and Tommy Hearns. I mean, he had the same posture, yeah, upright, one two, but his technique unbelievable. Yeah, he couldn't miss with that right hand. And can the the kid is five foot eleven in the featherweight division. <laughs> I know that is that's crazy. Almost a seventy-five inch reach. This kid has such an advantage, and you would think, you know, you see the frame. He's a skinny, lanky, long guy. You watch him punch, and let me tell you something. That kid has got some serious power. You can hear the thud when he punches. The, 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 this is a very interesting guy moving forward. I mean, I think as far as a guy that you know you don't know anything about, and a, a guy that's coming off a layoff and in one in his first fight, it's like. Jesus Christ, where'd this kid come from, man? Dude, the way that he would sit down into his punches and he would move, he was already sat down to throw the right hook yeah. or the right uppercut, and once he threw it, then his body shifted, his his feet traded places, and he was already sitting down. You don't see young fighters, especially in their fifth career fight, that have the ability they can sit down in one position and throw from that position. Right. You don't see young guys... 21-year-old in his fifth fight, being able to bounce from side to side, stance to stance, orthodox to southpaw, sitting down on his punches, the snap, the range, and the way he threw that left hook to finish this fight. From his ear, and when they showed it in slow motion after the fight, his muscles completely tensed up, 
and it was like a shotgun hook from the side of his head. No wind up or anything. No, uh, it almost almost a check hook, but uh, it's a check hook is. Is, is a counter that was just a nasty, nasty left hook. Did he land two of them? Yeah, yeah, back yeah, to back. Yeah, uh, no, I think he, I think he threw three to close the fight. Right, really, really quickly. But yeah, man, that first one was just oh, it was so devastating. We we talk about this all the time. We always stress how much we enjoy prospects. This is a guy that, in my opinion, Vin, I don't know. What do you think? I mean, he's he's center on my radar screen right now. I mean, I, I can't wait till they bring this kid back. I really can't. Oh, we're gonna be Garrett. This program, yeah, L.A. Fight Club. We're gonna get to see this kid grow up right before our eyes. I get him five, six times this year, oh, dude. Sign me up. Yeah, sign me up. Um, we talk about the eye test all the time. I mean, this guy has the nastiness, the tenacity, the will to finish. Throws every punch very technically refined. I'm gonna say right now, barring serious injury. An unforeseen accident. Um, Edgar Valerio, my boy's future, is going to be endless. I think you're going to see him on almost everybody's prospect list next year at the end of the year. Yeah. Or this year at the end of the year. It's just the talent is unbelievable, man. Yeah. If you haven't seen it, check it out. You can go to live stream, uh, Ring TV Live's channel on there, and they have the uh, January 29th LA Fight Club. So you can watch the fight online. I, I, I think you can probably even stream it um, in the U.K. Speaking of the U.K., let's go ahead and cross the pond. George Groves, a guy we've, we've I think, episode 15 or 16 of this show was a show about George Groves because that was the only thing going on that week is when he <laughs> fought uh, uh, Rebrassi. Yeah, yeah. Um, George Groves, Andrea De Luisa, super middleweight um, fight. This was George Groves' first, uh, first fight with Shane McGuigan in the corner. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, what was your overall impression of George Groves? I have really mixed feelings about this fight. Yeah, I mean, what gives you the mixed feelings, I think, is De Luisa looked like com- shit. Yeah, he looked like he was just a punching bag with gloves on. Yeah. He, he did, hardly did any work in the fight. You know, everybody was saying the jab's back, the jab's back, the jab looked great from Groves. I thought it did at times, uh, but uh, there wasn't anything that particularly great that I got from Groves in that fight. I, I Look, maybe he, it's, it's going to take time with McQuiggan. They're probably putting some, some wrinkles in the game. Yeah. He looked decent, but he did not look great. You know, I thought the first round he looked, I thought he looked great in the first round. Yeah. I thought he had snap on his punches. I thought that he was utilizing the one-two really well. I was listening to the Boxing Asylum podcast, and a couple guys on there were making this this observation that I had in my head when I was watching this fight, that Groves looked old, like in the third and fourth round. Yeah, De Luisa was taking a beating, mm-hmm. no doubt about it. Um, but it seemed like, again, we've always talked about his issues with endurance, right, and his physical fitness. One, he looked bigger than I've ever seen him in a fight. Yeah, he did. He looked physically bigger, yeah. right? And his snap on his punches had already diminished three rounds into the fight. Yeah, you know what? I, I noticed a lot of that, too. And another thing I noticed was he still, when he came in with the big right hand, he still leaves his chin out there on a platter, On a dude. platter. I, I mean. Uh, a counter right is going yeah, to drop him Yeah, a cold. counter straight punch uh, like we saw from Frotch. Just uh, look, I'm not going to say that, you know, this is 
the beginning or the end of where, of where George Groves goes in his career. But it's just not – I wasn't as impressed as I, as I saw some people were after the fight. Yeah, I'm with you. I, it was a, a mixed bag of tricks from George Groves. If I'm his manager, here's my plan for George Groves. His ego, his personality won't allow this. Don't put him in a ring with Callum Smith. Because he thinks he de- – yeah, I know. Uh, he thinks he deserves to be a champion, right? So he, I would say this to George Groves if I was advising him. I would say, George, listen, you're 27 years old, okay? We are going to fight you again at the, at the, at the U.K. level. At the, at the, there's enough super middleweights over here. And we're going to give you four or five fights with Shane McGuigan. Mm-hmm. And we're going to get you guys running like a well-oiled machine. Okay? Then 18 months from now, then we'll consider getting you another title shot. He wants to rush right in for another title shot. And I'm telling you right now, he will lose. Oh, yeah. He's not ready yet. He needs to gel with Shane McGuigan, and he needs to get his physical fitness down a little bit better. He has the tools. He has the talent. He has the athleticism. We've never, never denied that from him. No. But I can tell you right now, you just said it. He leaves. When he sends that right hand, his chin is out on a silver platter. He thinks the easiest road to a belt would be a fight with Arthur Abraham. If Abraham beats Zerto, I'm telling you right now, Arthur Abraham would be the absolute worst super middleweight for him to fight because Arthur Abraham's right hand will counter George Groves' right, and he will knock him out. Out. And guess who doesn't get tired in fights? Arthur Abraham. Yeah. That, that's the that's wrong. That's like the, the, the polar opposites of frenetic George Groves and just old calm Abraham in the ring with his guard up and just waiting for his, biding his time. Waiting to throw the straight yeah. right. Carl Frotch flatlined him and exposed him with the straight right. Carl Frotch is retired now. So now who has the best straight right in the super middleweight division? You just said it. Arthur Abraham. <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't know. I just pump the brakes and let's let's regroup. Let's regroup. You just switch trainers again. Let, let, let's look to 2017, possibly not 16. Yeah, yeah. I think that that would be uh, well advised. He's so young. If he was 32, I would be. I would right. feel differently about it. Hey, when you, when you've been to the big show, you got to get back quick. Yeah, he's addicted to that attention, man. He loves the attention. Mm-hmm. Uh, Shanghai top ranked Zhou Shimeng finally knocking somebody out. Uh, Natan yeah. Catino. Uh, TK08, Ryoti Murata devastating against Gaston Vega, doing what he is known to do in Asia uh, as, a, as a middleweight knockout artist, still a work in progress. Um, they're going to try to get Shemang a shot. I, <laughs> I mean, I don't think he stands a chance against any of the belt holders in that division. No. I think that he would probably get run wrong, would take him the distance again and school him. Um, because Zhou Shiming doesn't protect himself. He comes in shooting these straight punches with his chin. Oh, his hands down. Yeah. yeah. Can't do that in that division, man. No, no, not again. Dude, you have three supreme master boxers in that division. Yeah. And unfortunately, if he wants to go after the other two with belts, both of those guys will put him to sleep really fast. Oh, yeah. Because Estrada and Chocolatito, that's what they do. That, no, they don't want to go that route. No, he'd be better off moving up and wait. Yeah. Um, bounce. Man, I tell you what, that, that must be the shittiest channel on the entire Xfinity platform. I don't get it. I don't get it on DirecTV. I get half of it. I get half the screen. Do you really? Yeah, it's horrible. It's on an HD channel. It's in low def, and you only get half the screen. That's that's terrible, man. Oh, it's 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 horrible. And then they didn't stream it online. It's like, man, what is going on here? But you know what? I was glad because, honestly and truthfully, I like Erickson Lubin, but it's 
the PBC will announce. Yeah, I, I don't need to see it. I'll read about it. I'll catch some highlights, something like that. I ain't, I'm not wasting my time. Yeah, especially when Lubin carries a guy the entire way, man. Right. Uh, 189 times 2, 99-90, unanimous decision for the top prospect. All right, news and notes. Let's uh, Let's get to these news and notes. Okay, there is been this it's been a constant topic on our show um some people that like to live in la la land and don't like to talk about every aspect of boxing and like to just pretend that um you know and they believe in unicorns and and stuff like that (laughs) um don't like it when we talk about this but this is this is where the sport's at today and and this is going to be more of a constant topic moving forward because what we've been speculating for a long time Mm -hmm. uh, is now seemingly the 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 first signs of the collapse of the PBC um, are starting to come to fruition. Steve Kim from UCN Live wrote an article titled, This is Interesting, right? And it was about some new information coming to light about the status of the PBC and where it is today. And there are factors, we talked about it in the last show, uh, or maybe even the show before that, when we first acknowledge the um the announcement of uh, keith thurman versus sean porter right and one of the questions i asked Vin is this showtime on cbs or is this pbc why would it be showtime on cbs and why are they fighting this fight in an indian casino so indian casino tells me that they're paying a site fee to, yeah. to the pbc mm-hmm. okay so we need revenue right yep. um, what you didn't need revenue before why all of a sudden do you need revenue it's not coming from advertising and why would why do you need a licensing fee from Showtime to put this thing on CBS, right? So I'm like, what happened to being able to pay the fighters a million and a half a piece and you know, being able to spend $5 million on the salaries and then another 2 or $3 million in operating costs, overhead, and everything else, spending anywhere from 7 to $10 million per event? Where'd all that free money go, <laughs> right? So then dig a little deeper. Steve, in his article, points to the schedule for the PBC event. And as it looks right now, they have three events scheduled. Yeah. That's it. And yep. let's see. Um, Jamal Herring versus Flores on toe-to-toe Tuesday. Santiago versus Ruiz. I don't know who either of these guys are. Yep. On toe-to-toe Tuesday. And Thurman Porter. Yeah. They have three events scheduled for the entire year. What happened to the, you know, they said they were going to do 90 shows this year. Look, I, I don't remember how long ago it was. When I, when I brought this up as a as a conspiracy theory, and I, I'm not going to sit here and act like it's, it's come true, but they started moving, they moved Wilder to Showtime. All of a sudden, it was like, just, you just saw like, hold on, why are you taking your best, your biggest commodity and, and not putting them on your brand? Yeah. It, it makes absolutely no sense. Well, now it's becoming quite apparent why they did that. Santa Cruz is going to be fighting on Showtime. They can't, they couldn't afford to keep paying these fighters salaries. I don't know if they underestimated operating costs or what they did, but Jesus Christ, man, <laughs> what has come out to, in that article? And, and and if it is true, I mean, what a mess, man. What a fucking mess. Steve points to, there's a link on the article. Um, go to UCNlive.com for Steve's article, and I'll put the link on the show notes to this show um, so all of you can click and go to it. But he provides a link to a Reddit post from, um, from somebody who's been evaluating the, uh, you know, the the value of the initial the initial investment and showing um, how it's being valued now. He talks about over the last four quarters for Waddell and Reed, 
um, that the price went from uh, that it, that it went as advised for the stock to be bought to either now hold or sell status. Right. That has steadily declined over these four periods. And this Reddit post that's on Steve's uh, Steve's article at UCNLive.com shows the acquisition cost, the initial investment that was paid out to uh, Al Heyman's uh, PBC to start. It was $528 million, so a little over a half a billion dollars. Now, that started in March, mm-hmm. right? And so from March to September, six months goes by, and the value of the combined investment, because there were three investment um uh, subsidiaries within Waddell and Reed that had different names that they all combined the money. But that combination, the combined investment six months later, went from $528 million to $214 million. So they spent 300, they spent 60%. They were supposed to have it, they promised investors a three year plan, a three year plan with a half a billion dollars, and they spent 60% of it. In six months, in the first six months, so you're telling me that there's still 30 months left based off of where the value of the combined investment is as of New Year's Day. So just a month ago, Mm -hmm. just a month ago, there's $82 million left of the half a billion. Unbelievable, man. I mean, I, I don't even understand where all that money went. Are they paying, overpaying fighters? Yes, but to blow through four hundred and sixty million dollars or whatever the hell, you, how do you? How can you do that? Uh, that it just. What are you paying for? What what is? Are, is everything per diem for everybody that works there? Everybody just turns in their unlimited, you know, whatever they can do. It's just, Ken, we we've been calling this for since it started. You know, two months into it, we're like, all right, something stinks here. Yeah, and it's funny in Steve's article, he talks about how, like, at the beginning, like, you know, all of the fighters' drivers, right, the limo drivers and stuff, they're yeah. all, we're all getting hotel rooms comped. Yeah. You know, and, uh, you know, that, that, that all the employees that were working the events were all getting per diems, and now no more hotel rooms, no more per diems. Yeah. Like, all this stuff's being cut back, and you're seeing these substantial, substantial cutbacks. What's funny to me is, is they compare it to, the, you know, they were calling it a, a smash and grab, right? And, and this is what we have been, oh. we've been theorizing and we've been accused of being conspiracy theorists that there, that, that there was a possibility that this was never designed or set up to succeed, that while these fighters were getting paid well to shut up, while these fighters were getting paid well so they would blindly defend Al Heyman like they do, mm-hmm. right? They would stake their careers and reputations they would have their careers stunted. The momentum that was built by Golden Boy, who built a majority of all these top fighters in their in their ranks. Um, you know what? If we pay them a lot, they'll shut up. And if we pay them a lot, I still get a cut. Meanwhile, he's risking investors' money. So this is five hundred and twenty-eight million dollars of of mom and pop's monies who are who are talked into buying into this mutual fund, right? That is then given and supposed to be regulated by Waddell and Reed where every penny is going, well, guess what? Al Heyman and all of his fighters are getting rich, what, meanwhile putting out a horrible product. Meanwhile, dude, the way that they started this thing off, they, they, we talked about it from the jump. They, they jump-started this thing by becoming 
basically enemies of the fans. Yeah. You know, the sham promoters like Lou DiBella, who still defends blindly, you know, till the end. Um, he'll go down with this thing screaming. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? He'll go down and burning flames with these guys defending it, just like all these fighters will. You know, they attacked the fans from the very beginning. They didn't make this inclusive. They told people that it was free, and you got enough idiot fans out there that are like, eh, what are you bitching about? This is a good thing for boxing, that it's on free TV. That is not even an argument. There's no argument coming behind it. No. It's an ignorant statement where you're repeating another retard. You can't just repeat what other people say because then next thing you know you're in a cult, and next thing you know you're drinking poison Kool-Aid, you know, and they're, they're, they're attacking your city. Yeah. You, know, you know what I'm saying? It just, it's, a, it's a chain reaction of events set forth by something that looked fickle, something that looked poisoned. Yeah, guess what? You can pull this kind of stuff off if you don't ever step up to the podium and answer questions, if you hide behind the curtain. We've talked about it over and over and over again. The guy doesn't have to answer questions because, honestly, if he were to stand up and answer the questions that the media wants to ask him, he would be indicting himself on criminal charges. Yeah, he can't do it. and I, I don't That's know That's why he... he doesn't say it. Now it makes sense. Why Al Heyman does not speak to the media? Because he will basically... Lock himself in prison. Yeah, he, that's what he has to do. You're right. He, he has to hide. He has no choice. He comes out and talks, and everybody's going to go, wait a second, what the hell? Uh, look, I would love to see what just the, what do the PBC books look like. I want to see where this money went because it almost doesn't make sense. It doesn't add up for them to have run through that much money. Are they paying fighters a lot? Yes, but they're not paying them that much unless there is these, you know, these these backroom payoffs that we've talked about with, uh, with the sanctioning bodies, and who knows where this shit is well, going. Well, the check that, that, was, that was cut for Chavez, remember? Right, right. He, he posted it on Instagram. His, his, uh, his Al Heyman, L- or Heyman Boxing LLC or Heyman Sports LLC, whatever the hell it was. Right, but the, if you remember, the, the controversy behind that check was is that his reported purse to the, to the Las Vegas Boxing Commission or wherever that fight was, maybe it was the one he fought in Texas, I don't really remember. Right. Could have been California... That's that. That's neither here nor there. But his purse that his purse that was reported to the boxing commission was one point five million dollars, and then he shows a check for like two and a half million. It was, I think, it was two seven five. Right, and guess where that check is now? It has been. It is part of Top Rank's lawsuit oh. against Al Heyman. It is evidence in the lawsuit now. It's admissible evidence. Yeah. because of that. So that right there, added to all of this, dude. I'm telling you right now. It's, it's, you know, they made a comment in, in, in one of the podcasts. I think it might have been the one where uh, Steve Kim and Gabe Montoya, I think it's episode 566 of the next round on the Leave It In The Ring uh, radio, uh, David Duenas' uh, station. On that episode 566, Steve and Gabe Montoya bring on a, um, a financial advisor, a guy that does this professionally. Mm-hmm. He works for a company not named, but something he does something similar to what Waddell and Reed does. Yep. Okay? And he came on and basically said that everything that we've been saying, prognosticating, all the writing on the walls that nobody wants to listen to, um, that there's a good chance that this thing is about to get flipped upside down and that the PBC is on verge of collapse. Steve Kim reported, sources told him, okay, that a possible class action lawsuit could appear from investors of, of, of Waddell and Reed against Waddell and Reed. It absolutely should. I don't know why they wouldn't. For being misled about where their money was going. Uh, I mean, it's just a look. You have a guy that approved the $500 million that got fired from Waddell and Reed, 
and left and went to work for Al Heyman and got paid by the PBC by the money that he approved? The business tactics of Al Heyman, man, the way he's just the way he operated in his his takeover of Golden Boy and, and stripping their fighters, and now this PBC thing that is just a complete cloud of confusion and just idiocy. It's, oh, but then he's shy. Oh yeah, he's shy. That's why. Yeah. That's why he doesn't talk. It's not because he's doing all this shady shit and sabotaging companies and getting in tight with the right people. So then, so then they can sabotage their company on behalf of Al Heyman. No, no, no. If you think that way, you're probably just against Al Heyman because he's black. Yeah. When in reality, he's. I don't care if he's shy or not. You know. That, Come on. Is that? The you guy, can't be serious. He's a coward. Yes. He's a he's a 100 blatant coward. Like I said before, man. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. I'll be sitting outside when the PBC goes down in flames, and I'll be in a lawn chair with a Coors Light, and I'll be roasting marshmallows in the flames. I'll, I'll bring the graham crackers and Hershey's. We'll have ourselves some s'mores, buddy. <laughs> oh, man, oh, man, oh, man. Yeah, this is going to get real interesting really, really fast. Um, and something that I don't know if this is the first defection to uh, from the ranks of Al Heyman. I, I'm not sure what. What exactly it means, um, but today, out of nowhere, out of complete thin air, nobody was led on to this. Nobody was reporting rumors of this. Nobody even knew that this was going on. It is official May 7th, 2016 at the brand new T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas, Nevada. HBO pay-per-view. Canelo Alvarez will square off against Amir Khan. You text me, I'm at work today, and you said this fight's on. I'm like... This is what, the, come on, man. This is a fucking joke. Give me a break. No way. <sighs> it's, it's nice that a fight is made that you don't have to hear about the bullshit that goes on before it actually gets signed. This thing was just made, signed, sealed, and delivered. I'll take that. But, boy, do I have, uh, I got a couple questions. Uh-huh. Two questions. <laughs> Why is the supposed lineal middleweight champion of the world fighting a welterweight? Oh, obviously they're going to come up and they're they're going to fight at one fifty five. I'll never understand that. And why? Who in the hell in Amir Khan's camp and and Amir Khan himself thinks that you know a, a guy that Chris Algieri had him doing a Texas two step from an overhand <laughs> right? He's gonna he's gonna take a punch from Canelo Alvarez. Are you fucking kidding me? Is it? I, I knew the guy was delusional. This guy's got a fucking death wish, dude. Because he's, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, is Khan quicker and faster? Is he going to get in and out and land some punches? Canelo Alvarez is going to laugh in his face when those pillow fists hit him. He's going to fucking unload on this guy. And you're telling me that Canelo can't hit Amir Khan? Who has ever not been able to hit Amir Khan? <laughs> Everybody hits Amir Khan. Give me a fucking break. This guy has a death wish. <laughs> he's going to be he's going to be flying to the fucking heavens like James Kirkland. <laughs> You totally stole my thunder. I was, I was going to say. He's going to be met at the pearly gates with. <laughs> I'm oh, sorry, man. Dude, you totally stole my thunder because I was going to say to you. Now I was going to say, Vince, it looks like your boy Amir Khan's delusion has finally paid off for the fans of boxing. Because <laughs> he's crazy enough to think that he. Oh, you, you have to be as crazy as Amir Khan. To think that this is a good idea. No, it, it just can't be. Uh, but it's so unbelievably intriguing. This is must-see TV. I guarantee you. It, <laughs> oh, it is. It, it's it's so wrong, but so right. <laughs> you know what I mean? 
<laughs> I guarantee you, in Khan's fucking deluded mind, he's like, well, I'm going to beat Canelo better than Floyd beat Canelo. And then I'm going to come out and call Floyd out and say that I beat the guy that I beat Canelo better than you did. Why don't you come get... Come of course. On. Yeah, give me... This guy is a... He's fucking retarded. <laughs> and I can't wait until uh, May 7th. It, look, if Khan were a rational, rationally thinking human being, that... This is what I would think if, 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 if I'm Amir Khan and I'm rational and I'm not delusional and I'm, I'm a clear thinking, logical person. I say this, even if I lose to Canelo, I still get paid four or five million bucks mm-hmm. and Kel Brook's still there for a big fight. Oh, yeah. Right. But yeah. That's if I'm logical. He's not thinking that. No, he's thinking exactly what you said. He thinks that he can beat Canelo do it better than Floyd did, then he can challenge Floyd and try to drag him out of retirement, miss another year of his career, and then his ego will be so much bigger, he'll demand a 99 to 1% split against Kell Brook. <laughs> Kell Brook won't... Kell Brook will have to wear 16-ounce gloves. It, it'll be in a ring that's the size of a soda can. I mean, dude, he'll have every advantage in the world, and then he will be the A-side, and he will call out nobody. Yeah. Danny Garcia left hook drops you at 140, but you're going to fight Canelo Alvarez. Fucking dork. <laughs> what the fuck is wrong with him, man? I, I'm, I'm sorry. Honestly, but- you know what would have been a really good fight? Cotto versus Khan right now would be a really good fight. Absolutely. Right? That makes a little bit more sense. You could fight that at 147, and that would be a really good fight. Yeah. Uh, and Jesus, man. Again, look, I love Canelo, and I love... Here it comes. I know. Here it comes. These fucking catchweights, man. What do you? Every fight's got to be at a fucking catchweight. Uh, the lineal middleweight champion of the world. Well, he's he calls his own shots, creates his own division. Who cares? WBC. Uh, yeah, you can do whatever you want, man. Go ahead. We got your back. Yeah, we get a cut of that huge purse. We get a cut of that huge purse right yeah. there. You know? Yeah, dude, it's crazy. So you're telling me if Amir Khan wins this fight, he's going to take his mandatory against Golovkin? <laughs> 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 Uh, oh, my God. Did you picture that? No. Uh, dude, I literally see Khan's head flying into the crowd. <laughs> Khan's just dumb enough to do it, though, man. Oh, I know he is. I know and, he is. And, and look, I know there's going to be some people out there that say, give the guy some credit. Yeah, Hey, <laughs> mad respect for Amir Khan for taking this. Oh, fight. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I knew he was dumb. I didn't think he was that dumb. Oh, man. Oh, man. <laughs> Yeah, I, I I see this fight exactly. It's gonna look like the um, it's gonna look like, it's gonna look like Canelo versus El Perro. Okay. Yeah. Except that it's probably gonna stop in the third or fourth round from one massive punch that's gonna clip Khan. Look, people say, oh, he'll outbox him. He'll stay away from him. Have you ever watched an Amir Khan fight? Here's what Amir Khan does to elude his opponent. He backs straight up. With yeah. his chin like this. Yep. And I'm telling you right now, Canelo will walk right through that straight one-two, and one of those beautiful uppercuts is just going to send him, like you said, ascending to, I guess in his case, Allah. <laughs> I, I just, I don't, I mean, I can't wait for the fight. I really can't. <laughs> but it is just, it's so, I mean, I, I don't understand how anybody in the Akan camp could legitimately think they're going to walk out of that ring as the winner on that night. Yeah. If, if airs Londi Lara couldn't run from Canelo, Amir Khan certainly can't. Cause he's not as good on his feet as a guy like Lara. No. And 
Yeah, but Amir Khan can throw 120 punches in a second. Oh, ooh, he can ooh. Hit, he can he can do backflips with an empty water bottle. Canelo's gonna walk right through that shit, and and they're gonna look. Canelo's gonna weigh 170 to 173 pounds. I saw an interview today where Khan says. I'll be 165 in the ring that night. Bullshit. He'll be, be 158 pounds, man. And you're, if you're 165 in the ring that night, you ain't going to have the speed that you had at 140 or 155, whatever you weigh, nope. at a welterweight fight. Just, ah, I don't know, man. How, how quick, how, look, look, man, Golden Boy's got the best matchmakers in the game, period. Yeah. Okay. What was the one thing that we noticed about Canelo in the Cotto fight? His ability to pivot, pot shot, and counter at the torso. Right. His ability to like basically matrix away from punches. Mm-hmm. His we saw a new defensive posture from him that had looked like he'd been working on it for a while. His hands looked quicker, and he looked physically stronger than I've ever seen him. Looked like a beast, a total animal, man. Um, yeah, like you said, whatever advantages Amir Khan has in a. I don't know, just a strict tail of the tape, measurable. I mean, uh, yeah, I, I think Canelo's going to weigh 175 pounds. Fight night, Conway somewhere around 160. And uh, I don't know. Con thinks Canelo's the same fighter that fought Floyd Mayweather. Yeah. That, that's what he thinks. Who knows what Con thinks? <laughs> Honestly, who knows what Con thinks? But let me ask you this, though. The, look, I, I I want more clarification on this. I'm going to send an email out to um, Golden Boy's publicists and, and, and try to find this out. It said in the press release that <clears throat> Amir Khan is back fighting with Golden Boy where he should be, where he belongs, okay? Then this this guy, Tim Smith, I mean, who the fuck is Tim Smith? I didn't even know the PBC had a spokesperson because they don't answer any fucking questions. Oh, perfect that it would be Tim Smith, a bot. Yeah, like John Doe. Yeah. A bot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just like this random person appears out of nowhere. Yes, I'm the spokesman for the PBC. I have something to say. He <laughs> <laughs> comes out and says his response to this wasn't, it was like that the same defensive, ignorant posture of the PBC. Al Heyman was a part of this, and this only happened because Al Heyman made this possible. So you're trying to tell me, you're trying to tell me that a guy who is under fire with $400 million worth of lawsuits, $300 million of which is from Golden Boy, sat in a room with Oscar De La Hoya, the guy who's suing him for $300 million. Yeah, bygones be bygones, Ken. Hey. Let's just put that over there for a little while. Let's shake hands, man. How you doing? <laughs> how's, the, how's the kids? <laughs> How many days sober are you, Oscar? <laughs> right? I mean, come on. No, there's, uh, that, It's total, unbelievable, propagated bullshit. Yeah, give me a break, Those man. Those two didn't negotiate shit. It's more likely that Khan left Heyman. Yeah. Period. He yep. just left him high and dry. And said, you know what? This guy didn't get me the fights that I wanted. Yeah. This th- there's evidence out there that he wanted something that I'm sure when it came time for the PBC to hijack Golden Boys fighters, he probably used a little bit of different persuasion techniques for each person. He, he knew their hot spot and pressed that button. Mm-hmm. And the button on Khan was, you know what? If you come with me, I'll get you Floyd Mayweather. Oh, absolutely, man. When in reality, Floyd's in charge of Floyd. Yeah. So Floyd, it doesn't matter what Al Heyman says. Yeah. Al Heyman may have financially directed his career, but <laughs> Floyd fights who Floyd wants to fight. Absolutely. And when Floyd left him at the altar time, 
and time and time again. Amir Khan was like, but I came with you because you promised me riches beyond imagination. Yeah. And guess what? It's way more likely that Khan felt, like I said, left at the altar and Golden Boy said, Khan, leave Heyman and came back. Come back to where you started. We'll get you the biggest fights. I'll get you right now, Khan. Guess what? If you come back to us, I guarantee you a fight against the biggest name in boxing. And probably $5 million. Boom. Yeah. That's all he ever wanted. Yep. He just wanted a shot at one of the biggest names in boxing. And guess what? Pacquiao is flying off into the into the gray havens, just like Frodo and Gandalf. You know, you know what I mean? He just got he aborted that ship with the elves, and he's going off into the sunset. Yep. And Floyd, well, Floyd, Floyd be doing Floyd. He's, he's just waiting. Yeah, right? So, so, look, Canelo, money, fame, fortune, Amir Khan, everybody will know I'm great finally. Yeah. Because I've been the greatest, just nobody's realized it yet. Yeah. Um. To me, that's far more likely. But I would like more information to know, is this just a one-fight deal? Because this is exclusively promoted by Golden Boy. Yeah. Which tells me if Al Heyman was involved, that it would look a little bit more like the, the Sergey Kovalev-Adonis-Stevenson negotiations. Sure. He, he doesn't need in on some of that cash made off of that fight? Yeah. They're running out of money, right? I know. Why wouldn't you want what 15% of $8 million? Tim Smith is full of shit, man. <laughs> Tim Smith. Yeah, John Denver's full of shit, man. <laughs> oh, man, oh, man. This might be the first defection. But I tell you what, man, you still got your guys out there, guys that I lose a little bit more respect for every day. Our boy J-Rock has gotten out of control with his defense of Al Heyman, man. Yeah. Just blind defense of Al Heyman. I just want to like, I just want to like, put my hand on his shoulder and be like, man, Al doesn't have your back, bro. Come talk to me when you're completely left out in the cold, my friend. Yeah, yeah. You know what? Golden Boy's got fights for you, man. Yep. Golden Boy's got fights for you. Um, Canelo Alvarez, Amir Khan, May 7th, HBO pay-per-view. It might be a shit show, but it's one of those things, man. You can't drive by a car wreck without stopping and looking. <laughs> I know, man. It's exactly what this fight is. Be interested to see what the undercard looks like. I mean, you know, recent history would tell you that we might get something like Francisco Vargas versus Orlando Salido Ooh. as the co-feature. Ah, there you. That's tasty right there. That fight's being batted about. I don't know if that would stand on its on its own uh, on its own two feet for like an HBO boxing after dark. Right. I think it would. Um, but if they can make that fight, that sounds like uh, the perfect appetizer to <laughs> what could just be uh, uh, slaughter. One hell of a tune-up for Golovkin, huh? <laughs> Very similar fighter in Amir Khan. Golovkin Khan. <laughs> Golovkin Khan. This fight makes me think even more that Golo- that that Canelo's not he's not going to fight Golovkin. I don't think so either. At least not this year, anyways. <sighs> Just wait until he gets old. But you know what? I, I don't know if Canelo will ever. Even if Canelo waited until, you know, Golovkin was. 38, I, I still don't think he could beat him. No, Golovkin's not putting any miles on himself in the ring right now. He's just not. He's not in wars. He's getting out of fights early. He just jumps. takes no punishment. Yeah, He's just jumping rope. A fight is, might as well be a sparring session for him. Everyone he's been in for the last two years. You know what's funny, dude? Look, Erzlandi Lara came out right after uh, Golovkin's last fight, right after he knocked out David Lemieux, and he's mm-hmm. like, fight me, fight me, fight me, right? Yeah. Then as soon as that that sort of like rumor mill started heating up. Erzlandi Lara went completely silent. I haven't heard from him in a while. Dude, you didn't hear anything from him, right? <laughs> but then you hear rumors of a, of a possible fight with Dominic Wade, right? 
a possible, there's still a chance that it could be BJ Saunders or Chris Eubank. Yeah. Okay. Which is very slim that it would happen this fight in April. But then you hear that Bernard Hopkins has, has thrown his hat in the ring that he wants his last fight to be against Golovkin on April 23rd. Right. Mm-hmm. As soon as Golovkin has a few potential opponents, Erzlandi Lars sends out a tweet of his face memed on a taxi driver. <laughs> and he says, what? You only fight taxi drivers, right? <laughs> it's like, dude, it's just like Adonis Stevenson. You come out and you open your mouth up when there's no opportunity to make the fight. What an idiot. Where were you when he was knocking on everybody's door looking for opponents? He could have gotten paid. He could have, oh, come on. Getting a fight with Golovkin is very easy. Just pick up the phone. Call Mr. Tom Loeffler. He'll do the deal. <sighs> he got knocked down twice by Alfredo Angulo. Yeah. Yeah. But he stands a chance against Golovkin. Of course he does. These people that, 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 that say uh, Laura would box circles around Golovkin. Golovkin would make Laura look like a rag doll. That would be... Uh, Golovkin arguably cuts off the ring better than anybody in the sport. Absolutely. He I, would literally... Arizondi Laura would literally have to turn and run straight to get away from <laughs> Gennady Golovkin. You know what I mean? Yeah. He wouldn't be able to like box and stick and move and, and slide around the outside of the ring while still, you know... His opponent's chasing him. His opponent wings a hook, and he goes, whoa, yeah. you know, ole. No. no. He would literally have to turn and be like, <laughs> <laughs> It's like you're running at an incredible rate of speed, Harry. <laughs> uh, oh, my goodness. <laughs> oh, it's getting silly, man. But that, that's yeah. what happens when you, talk, you start talking about Amir Khan and things just – and then you throw Arislandi Lara in there, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Shit gets crazy. <laughs> Shit gets crazy, but it's always entertaining. And you know what? If uh, we don't entertain anybody out there in the boxing universe, we uh, always entertain ourselves. Right. So uh, and that's really uh, all that matters at the end of the day, right? <laughs> <laughs> hey, if we get 2,000 listens to this, to this episode, at least 1,500 of them will be between the two of us. <laughs> oh, man, oh, man. All right, let's go ahead and look ahead for... Uh, for one moment in time and check out this boxing schedule as we try to uh, fast forward into the future. Um, upcoming this weekend, it, we, you know, we were, we were looking like we were heading into a little bit of a lull in the upcoming weekend, and then we were going to get Terry Flanagan versus Derry Matthews. Nope. But that's been delayed until, I think, March 7th. Yeah. Um, which, is, which is fine. I mean, that wasn't anything I was anticipating, but it would have been a good filler until yeah. we got to the 27th. Um, so, you know, we'll just have to wait and see exactly what uh, – what lay on the horizon, um, you know, nothing too big. Again, like we said, we got Frankie Gomez and Randy Caballero in separate bouts on L.A. Fight Club. Tune in Friday night because that's going to be fun. Frankie Gomez is apparently in shape. I yeah, mean, who we'll, knows? We'll see. He may show up with freaking Cheeto crumbs on his chest for the fight. You never know. But uh, Randy Caballero, um, one of the best Bantamweights in the world, uh, will be in action. And uh, that's about it this weekend. Yeah. Um, nothing much of note after that. There's a... a crappy little pbc show um the following weekend and um you know that's pretty much it man we got a a, a couple top rank uh, prospects coming in the week after that so we'll try to come up with something good we'll try to come up with them and maybe we'll do a list maybe we'll do something special we'll, we'll, you know, either way we'll be back with a show next week uh, they d- boxing delivered canelo Khan this week with not much to talk about they'll give us something else yeah i mean we just spent the last you know, 40 minutes talking about one thing. So, right. you know, we'll just talk in circles and then you guys will like it and then you'll ask for more. <laughs> <laughs> Can you guys talk in circles again? 
Oh, man. Oh, man. But, yeah, February 27th, man. We're going to need, like, five shows to preview yeah. fe- uh, February 27th, man. Just keep on, like, they keep piling on more and more and more. Um, <clears throat> David Lemieux, James De La Rosa. Yeah. That's coming around the corner. Lemieux looks to get back on uh, on March 12th. Um, but, yeah, we'll leave you with that, and uh, that'll do it for episode 102 of the Pound for Pound King. The tale of the tape. So there you have it. The crusher, Sergey Kovalev, dominates. Andre Ward on the horizon. Sullivan Barrera waiting in the wings. He's waiting in front of J.C. Penny, parked, looking for Andre Ward to show up. J.C. Penny, Oakland, California. And Amir Khan has his reservation for the promised land. <laughs> Amir Khan has his dance with destiny. <laughs> May 7th on HBO pay-per-view. But that'll do it for episode 102 of the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast here on TheBoxingRant.com. I'm Kenny Keith. You can follow me on Twitter at Kenny Keith Jr. For Vince Cummings, who you can follow on Twitter at Vince Cummings 81. Stop by TheBoxingRant.com backslash podcast for all the links to today's show and much more audio and video. Subscribe to the Boxing Rant YouTube channel if you have not already. But again, we appreciate all of you taking time out of your busy day. Big shout out to our friends in the United Kingdom, Sweden, Australia, Canada, and everywhere else around the globe that makes the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast part of their weekly boxing regimen. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. You've been listening to the Tale of the Tape. Muchas gracias, everybody. <laughs>